welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We'll be reading from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promises there in Ezekiel 36, and we thank you that you have included us who believe in Jesus Christ as those who receive those promises. And Father, we pray, Lord, even tonight that you'd fulfill those promises that, as you said, you would cleanse among us through Jesus, as you say that you will give new hearts, as you say that you will fill people with your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would do that even in this room. Those who don't know you would be cleansed for the first time through the blood of Jesus. Those who have never felt affections for you would suddenly have new hearts that are that beat with love for you. We pray, Lord, too, that you would fill, even those who have known you for a while, that we would fill us afresh with your spirit, that you would empower us in new ways to live for you, even as the promise says there in Ezekiel 36. Lord, we believe you. We believe the promises you make. We've seen the way that you've purchased those promises in your son, Jesus Christ. And so we look forward, Lord, to those promises being evident in our lives more and more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everyone. So glad you guys are here. We're taking one Sunday off from Romans. We're going through Romans right now. We just finished chapter 9. We're taking one night off of that to to talk about baptism, to talk about the sign of baptism. So during the life of Jesus, Jesus gave us two signs. He gave us two sacraments, two signs that we practice together as a church. It's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Unfortunately, in our area and in our time, they're quite neglected by Christians. It's very common that Christians take the Lord's Supper infrequently, and many Christians are unbaptized. But the sacraments, guys, are way more important than you might think. Justin Holcomb said this about the sacraments of the baptism and the Lord's Supper. He said, when we're talking about the sacraments, we're not talking about some weird piece of furniture in the house of the Christian faith. We're talking about a load-bearing wall that is very significant for our identity and for our faith. Have you guys watched any home shows where they accidentally took out the load-bearing wall? You guys ever seen those? Okay. The house doesn't fall down immediately, thankfully, but it's going to weaken the whole state of the house. And it's the same with our faith, that if we neglect the sacraments, our faith is weakened. God's given us the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism as, as visual representations of the gospel. 
They're meant to be visual representations of the gospel that show us the reality of what we have in Jesus. Augustine called the sacraments visible words. So just as we have preaching to be able to hear God's promises, we have the sacraments so that we can see God's promises, so we can feel them, and even in the Lord's Supper that we can taste them. God knows that our faith is weak, and so in addition to preaching the gospel, he also gives us the sacraments. The sacraments are meant to uh, repeat and reenact and illustrate and even dramatize the gospel. It's a way for us to experience the gospel in a different way. And these things are called means of grace because they strengthen our faith. They actually feed our faith. And that's why, you know, Justin Holcomb said that they're load-bearing walls. And so often we, we think of them as something that we just kind of check off our box of obedience and move on. But the, the apostles regularly call us to remember our baptism and to remember the Lord's Supper. And, and one thing to realize about these things too, guys, is baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs of God's promise to us, not our promise to him. Sometimes we get it backwards and we think that, you know, baptism is about our promise to him and the Lord's Supper is about our promise to him. These are about his promise to us. And God's done this throughout scripture, right? He get, he's given visual signs to God's people to remind them of the promises. You can think about to Noah, right? He was given what? Then a rainbow, right? And then to um, Abraham, he's given circumcision. And to Moses, the Passover. Baptism's like that. It's a sign of God's gospel promises to us, not our promise to him. And, and I think that might alleviate some things. Sometimes people think, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, but my life isn't quite in a place right now where I feel like I could get baptized. It's about his promises to us, not our promises to him. And so if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, then, it, then it's time. And like I said, we can easily think of baptism as something that we did in the past and we're done with it. But the apostles tell us, keep looking to your baptism and remember those promises. They're signs for you to know something of the promises that God's made to you. And baptism also, guys, is something that God has given us to weld us together as a church, not just us as a local body, but with all Christians. In Ephesians 4.3, it says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you can see that we're supposed to be unified about baptism. Unfortunately, guys, as you, if you know church history, you know that over the centuries, baptism has been a source of severe disunity, right? I mean, severe to the point where Christians have killed Christians over baptism. A baptism was given to us, guys, to, to help us to identify with all other Christians, not to distinguish ourselves from other Christians, right? It was meant to identify with all other true Christians and not to distinguish ourselves from other Christians. And so I think tonight, as we look at the meaning of baptism, I think it can be a way of, when we understand the promises it represents, it's a way for us to unify with those who even practice baptism differently than we do, okay? And so that, I think that's something that massively pleases the Lord, too. I don't think he wants to see us disunified in this area. So think back to your baptism, whether it was when you were really young or it was recent or when you were adult or you are a very small kid, and just realize that that was God's sign of the new covenant promises to you. And we see three of those promises here in Ezekiel 36. Now, before I get, dig into these promises, a little background on Ezekiel. So Ezekiel this is written about 600 years before Jesus' birth. God's people were being punished for their sin and sent into exile in Babylon. And during that dark time, God encourages them by giving them a promise of a new covenant, 
a new way of relating to God that he was going to bring about through the Messiah, Jesus. And so if you're trusting in Jesus tonight, these promises are for you as well. These promises that your baptism points to. Let me read just a couple of the verses. Ezekiel 36, 25 says this, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. In all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There's actually three promises there we're going to look at. The three promises, or each verse has one. The first one in verse 25 is the promise that you are clean in Jesus. Second promise is that you are new in Jesus. And the third one that you're filled. So we're going to look at those three and we're going to look how baptism points to each one of those promises. Let's start with the first one. First one is you're clean. The first promise here is in verse 25. I'll sprinkle you with clean water and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. This promise deals with our uncleanness. Guys, sin makes us unclean. Sin leaves a moral stain on us. And even if you look clean and you look respectable to other people, God sees that stain if it hasn't been taken away in Jesus. Sin leaves us unclean. And that stain, guys, is something that's impossible for us to remove. We tend to think that we can remove the stain ourselves by denial. We just deny we did it and the stain goes away, not before God. Or we think we can remove the stain of our sin by good deeds. I'll just cover it up with a bunch of good things I do. It doesn't work that way. The stain's still there. We tend to think that, you know, if we just distract ourselves and not think about it, that somehow it goes away. It doesn't go away before God. That stain is still there. Sometimes we think just time. There's like a statute of limitations on sin, you know, that if enough time passed, it kind of went away. God forgot about it, but it doesn't. There's, there's actually no way for us to remove the stain of sin from ourselves. Even guys, centuries in hell would not remove the stain of our sin. But Jesus has removed the stain of our sin. He died in our place for our sins on the cross to fully remove that stain. Amen? You guys happy about that? You guys happy about the promise that you're clean? It's amazing when you think about it. It's the good news that Jesus offers cleansing. And if you're not a Christian tonight, if you've never had that stain removed by God tonight, God's inviting you to have that removed. He's inviting you tonight to come to him and deal with it. Deal with sins that maybe nobody else knows about but you and God. Listen to the invitation in Isaiah and imagine Jesus saying this to you because he is, if you're not a Christian tonight, he's saying this, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. Though they are red like crimson, they should be whiter than wool. Don't you love that? He's like, you know, you're stained with sin. You haven't trusted in Jesus yet. You've walked in here unclean and, and God says to you, come now, let us reason together. You have a problem. I have the solution. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And all it would take is to come to him, repent of your sin, and trust in Jesus. And he makes you clean. Okay, this is not like any religion out there. This is something that God does completely. It's not something you do. It's not like, okay, here's your payment plan. Or, you know, here's a four-step plan to start removing your sin. Or here's some good things you could do to balance that out. Or, hey, you could give some money over here. You could do this. You could do that. No, this is a removal. Come now. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, this should be whiter than snow. And what's cool in this text, guys, is that Jesus doesn't just remove our, our uncleanness. He removes the sin under the sin. Take a look at verse 25 again. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. That's really cool. 
Because when we sin, it's because we're after something actually other than whatever we were sinning with, right? When we sin, there's something that we were looking to other than God for our ultimate significance or security or approval or pleasure or control or power. We're supposed to find all those things ultimately in God. And every time we sin, we're looking to meet one of those needs by worshiping and loving something other than God. There's something else we wanted. And he says here, I'll cleanse you from that too. You know, sin is personal. Sin is trading God and his glory and his love for um, finding pleasure and significance and security and approval and power and something else. And he says, I'll cleanse you of that. He says, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Theological term for that is justification. If you come to Jesus, and for those of you who already trusted in Jesus, you're justified before God. You've been made righteous before him. You're clean. And though your conscience might bother you in many ways, you are clean. He has cleansed you of all your uncleanness. And your baptism, guys, is a sign of that promise that you're clean. This is a cool thing. You know, when we go through these three things, water is a really amazing thing, okay? When you think of all the different symbols that God has with water and with baptism, the one here is that just like water removes physical dirt from your body, Jesus' blood has removed your sin from you and made you clean. It's a symbol. Now, sometimes in church history, people have gotten a little confused. They thought that the sign did the cleansing. You guys aware of this? So there are people in church history and even today that have thought that somehow baptism actually washes away your sin, okay? That it's not a sign, but it's the actual thing that does the thing. And that's not what we have here. And people in church history, one, in the first few centuries, they thought that baptism was like a once-in-a-lifetime sin erase card. And so people waited a long time to get baptized, right? As you would. So you would be like, I'm not going to use it yet. I'm not going to waste it in childhood. I'm going to wait until I'm like to a stage in life when it's probably good. Not wait. Don't wait till you die. You know, you want to do it before then. So it was a strategy, right? You had your once in a, in a lifetime bankruptcy, sin bankruptcy card. Okay. And some people looked at baptism as removing their sin like that. Some people looked at baptism as a way of removing original sin from their babies. You guys are probably aware of that. Even now, it's, a, it's the Catholic teaching that, that baptism actually removes sin from infants and justifies them before God. And unfortunately, that justification doesn't last, but it's, it's a temporary thing. And so their belief was, and it, even a belief today, that baptizing infants would somehow make sure that they're going to go to heaven because it erases sin and it takes it away. We have families in our church who practice infant baptism, but not for that reason. Some of our families practice infant baptism, not because they believe it washes away sin from their child, but they do it as a sign of the new covenant. They baptize their infants because they see this connection, this Old Testament connection, it's a real connection, between circumcision in the Old Covenant and baptism in the New Covenant. So in the Old Covenant, the male children of believers would get circumcised, and that was a sign that they were a part of the covenant family, a part of the covenant people. It didn't mean they were saved, it just meant they were part of the covenant family. And then that's been done away with, and now we have baptism as a sign of a covenant. And so what some families do in our church is they baptize their infants as a sign that they are a part of the new covenant family. Not that they're saved, but as a sign of the promise. And so just as male babies were circumcised in the Old Testament, their infants get baptized as a sign of the covenant. It's also a way of recognizing that their children are valuable members of the covenant community of the church. And as Josh mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians 7, it says that the children of believers are holy to the Lord. And so infant baptism in the way I'm talking about, the kind of Reformed covenantal infant baptism, is a way of showing this child is holy before the Lord. doesn't mean they're saved, but they're a part of our covenant community, a valuable member of our church. 
It's similar to the way we just did a baby dedication, similar in that way, in the way that we welcomed Haven just now into our church family, and we and their parents make vows, except in infant baptism, we actually give them the water sign of baptism. And you guys might ask, like, okay, well, how can water baptism be a sign to an infant? And actually, that baptism, you'll find, is assigned to them the same way it's assigned to you. So we look back on our baptism, right? As children that get baptized in our church, babies that get baptized in our church, they are able to look back on their baptism too. So, you know, they're not saved at that point, but we, we challenge them to receive Jesus. When they receive Christ, they can look back on their baptism the same way you do, as a sign of God's promises that have been made in Christ. And I'll tell you guys, like, I honestly don't really remember my baptism, and I was baptized at 22, so I don't know what that says, but I don't have a clear memory of it, but I know that I was. I, I have a vague memory of it, okay? It's not like I have no memory of it. You're like, what were you doing that day? No, I just, I just, you know, don't have a great memory. But what's really cool is every time we do baptisms in our church, I remember my baptism through your baptism. And so next week when people are being baptized, it's going to be an opportunity, not for me to just celebrate the, the promises that God's made to you, but it's going to be an opportunity for me to remember God's promises made to me. It's really cool. I'd encourage you guys all to come. Just like when you go to a wedding, you married people, you go to a wedding, and at the wedding you remember the promises of your own wedding. You know, mine was 24 years ago. You go to a wedding, you get that kind of romantic feeling, right? Because you're remembering those promises from your own wedding. When you come to one of our baptisms and you see these men and women and boys and girls getting baptized, it's a, it's a time for you to remember God's promise to you too. And so Lord willing, along with the believers' baptisms we'll have next week, we have our newest member, baby Jack Calvin Scandalakis, who will be getting baptized too. So come out for that. Okay, so your baptism doesn't cleanse you, doesn't justify you. It's a sign that you're clean, right? I just want to ask you tonight, do you struggle with that as a Christian? Do you struggle to feel clean? You struggle with a conscience that bothers you, even if sin you've repented of, but it just keeps coming back? That's why God gave the sign of baptism, is to remind you you're clean. You remember when you came out of the water, if you remember? Or maybe you've seen other people, and you can remember yours through theirs. And as you came out of the water, you, were, you weren't dirty, you were clean. It's a reminder to you that you are still clean by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10.22 says this, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, listen to this, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Baptism reminds you that Jesus has cleansed you and that that cleansing is permanent and you are clean in God's sight. And I just want to tell you guys who really struggle with this, sometimes we struggle with our conscience of repented sin and sometimes we think that we're being holy by doing that. Guys, there's no spiritual discipline of wallowing in guilt, okay? It doesn't exist. There's not in the scriptures like, oh, here it is, the spiritual discipline of wallowing in guilt. There isn't one right? There's a spiritual discipline of remembering the gospel and repenting of your sin and receiving that promise you're clean, but there's no spiritual discipline of wallowing in guilt. Guys, the gospel is about removal of guilt, not, not to pile on your guilt. And so if you're a Christian tonight, you're clean. The second thing that baptism is a sign of is that you're new. Take a look at verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. This is a promise that addresses a different problem. So the first one, you are clean. You had a moral stain that needed to be cleaned. This is a promise that you had an immoral heart that needed to be changed. Because the problem with us, guys, that the gospel solves is not just what we've done, but who we are. 
The gospel changes who we are. We were at one time dead to God. It says right here that we had a heart of stone to God. Do you guys remember having a heart of stone to God? I remember having a heart of stone to God. It's a perfect image, isn't it? You should have this like, we were created to, to be in God's image, to glorify him and love him and enjoy him forever. And we were meant to have these hearts just beaded with love for God. And our hearts were a stony heart. We were dead to him, which is a huge problem. This is just as unsolvable as the problem of your stain is the problem of your heart. You needed a surgery that you couldn't perform on yourself. You couldn't transplant your stony heart out and give yourself a live heart. It's a problem you can't solve. And you know what else? It's a problem you didn't want solved. So it's not even that you, you know, had this stony heart and there's a surgery needed to give you a live heart for God. The problem's even worse because you didn't even want it. You had a heart of stone to God. And, and what Jesus did, what the Spirit did, is he gave you a new beating heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. If you're a Christian tonight, you were given that. It's called, the theological term for that is regeneration. You were made alive to God. And so the second promise here that baptism tells you is that you're new. And it does it in a really cool way. Uh, take a look at Romans 6, because, you know, you're thinking like, okay, well, I get that water could illustrate cleansing, right? But how could water illustrate newness, you know? And, and in Romans 6, you have a really cool image. Baptism is actually also a picture of, your, of burial and resurrection. Romans 6 says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so water gives us this really cool symbol in baptism of our new life. And it's that as you went down in that water, it was a picture of you dying to your old life. It was the promise that God has caused you to die to your old life. And then when you were pulled up, it was you being risen to a whole new life. It's, it's death and resurrection. And, and anyone who's come to Jesus has experienced no less than a spiritual resurrection. You went from death to life. For those of you who are getting baptized next week, adults probably, if you want us to hold you down a little extra, Okay, if you want to, I don't want anybody going like, I don't want to do it because, you know, you're going to drown us. If you want to be held down a little extra, we can do that. You can tell me how many seconds or I can just do it till you stop moving. Okay, it's up to you. But if you stop squirming and then I'm like, okay, he's ready. But if you want that, let me know, because there is something about that experience of going under the water of baptism and coming out in that picture of like, you're new, you're new. And that's what your baptism represents, is that you're new. Do you struggle to believe you're new? That's why he gave us a sign of baptism. Do you struggle to believe you're new? I do. You know, you get dragged down by temptation. You get dragged down by sin. You start to think that maybe you're just, you know, you're not that free after all. This happens a lot after people get baptized. You know, weeks after they get tempted and there's difficulty and they start to question, you know, whether they're really new. Our, our baptism helps remind us that we have been dead to our old life and raised to new. You don't have to anymore keep living in addiction to, to alcohol or pornography or, or gossip or sloth or envy or resentment or all those things that try to enslave you. You're new. You have a fresh start. 
If tonight, you know, you've already been baptized, you're a believer, and you've just been kind of kind of pulled down into this, this pit of sin, you can start fresh today. You're a new person. You can repent of it. You can have a fresh start. You can have freedom again. You can live as new. You can live this resurrection life. You've been raised to newness of life. It's a promise we need to hear, especially as sin like kind of piles on over and over again. We need to be reminded not only that we're clean, but that we're new. We don't have to keep living in this way. And so your baptism promises that you're, you're clean, you're new, and finally that you're filled. The first promise dealt with our uncleanness. The second promise deals with our deadness. This one deals with our powerlessness. Take a look at verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Your baptism reminds you that you're not powerless, right? You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're filled with God. The Holy Spirit lives within you. The, your baptism reminds you that. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. He's not a power, okay? He is God himself, third person in the Trinity. But often the Bible talks about him as being poured or him filling people, right? As if he's a liquid, even though he's a person. And so this is another way in which water is such a cool symbol. So you've got the, you know, the cleaning, you've got the newness, right? And then you've got the filling that he's, he pours out his spirit into you. And one of the things we can see from the Old Testament, if you guys have read through the Old Testament, is the inability of God's people to live God's commands on their own. You see that over and over again? You're like, this is a frustrating story. Yeah, try being God, you know? Like, this is a frustrating story. Over and over again, they're disobedient to him. Over and over again, they fall in, and then they're like real sorry, and then they come back, and then they're bad again, and it goes on and on, right? Over and over again, you see Israel fail to obey God and to live distinctly as his people. And that's what's happening in Ezekiel, right? They're in exile for a reason, because, you know, once again, you know, they're being punished for their sin. But throughout the Old Testament, God made this promise, just like in Ezekiel 36, that one day he would fill all of his people with his Holy Spirit that would empower them to live in a way that would glorify God and bless the world. So they're waiting for this promise all along. And you see it all throughout the prophets over and over again, it's being promised. And then finally, we have the birth of Jesus. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Then we see Jesus in his life, that he resists all temptations by the power of the Spirit. And in Jesus's life, we see what a person's life looks like when it's fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then the cool thing is, is that he doesn't just walk around going like, look at all I can do by the Holy Spirit. He's come to give the Holy Spirit to us, right? He came to give the Holy Spirit to us. John the Baptist says something really cool. He goes, I baptize with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Isn't that amazing? He's like, I can do the water thing. I know it's cool. But Jesus is going to come and he's going to actually baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's actually going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And why with fire? Well, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. When he comes to live in you, he is aflame with the holiness of God. And he burns away our sin from the inside. He gets in there and he doesn't leave things the way they were, right? He, he's alive within us and causing us more and more to be holy like him. And when Jesus, this spirit baptizer, came, he said this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so he promises to his disciples, he says, if you follow me, you're going to have a life within you that you've never had before. It's going to be God himself, like gushing out of you, that God himself would live in you and he would empower you. This is that promise throughout the whole Old Testament. And on the cross, guys, Jesus purchased 
that gift. Because we didn't deserve that gift. We didn't deserve forgiveness. And we definitely did not deserve the Holy Spirit living within us. He purchased both on the cross. You know, It might be why when he was pierced, it says that blood and water came forth. Maybe to symbolize both the forgiveness that we have by his blood and his spirit being given to us as a gift. And then at Pentecost, right? So 40 days later, after the resurrection, 40 days after, is Pentecost and his promise is made true. And Jesus pours out his spirit into all who trust him. And you guys live in that time. You guys live in that time that Old Testament believers waited for. You guys live in that time when Jesus said, it's better that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to give you the Spirit. Like, you live in that time. You live in the time when you are filled with the Spirit. So your baptism reminds you not just that you're clean, not just that you've been raised to new life, but that the Spirit's actually poured into you. He lives within you. You're filled. I ask you, do you struggle with that? Do you sometimes feel powerless as a Christian to live the way God's called you to live. No? Okay, that's cool. Um, I do. <laughs> I'll just start. <laughs> Don't you feel that way? You see the things that God's commanded? I mean, okay, so let me just back up here. So you could have followed a lot of people. You decided to follow Jesus. You're his disciple. That's hard, okay? Like there's a lot of easier people to follow than Jesus, right? He, Jesus, you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to live like Jesus. You're going to be like Jesus. You're like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your disciple. I'm going to live like you. You can't do that, right? And that's why the Spirit's been given, so that you can to empower you. So do you struggle with feelings of powerlessness as you try to follow Jesus? And Your baptism is given to you to remind you that you're not powerless. You're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living within you. How often do we forget that? We think, oh, it's going to be a difficult day. You know, maybe we should call upon the Lord to fill us afresh, to strengthen us by the Holy Spirit. We forget so often. We think we face our days by ourselves, but God himself dwells within us. Like we could be seeking more and more to be filled. Paul said that, right? He said in Ephesians 5, do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. We could seek every day more and more to live out of a strength that's not ours. It's God's. It's God's strength. So, so baptism is really cool. Right? Okay. Isn't God good? I mean, I just think it's so cool. So he gives us the gospel. Like we can hear it. We can read it. But then in the Lord's Supper, we can taste it. Right? We feel it. We smell it. And then in baptism, we get a feeling of the gospel, a reminder of the gospel. Then when we, when we are a part of baptisms with each other, we can see God's promise, guys that you're clean. Now, how cool is that to hear again? How cool is that to think about your baptism and remember, like, it's a sign that God's given you that you're clean. You're clean. You guys realize you're clean? I hope you know it. You're clean. If you're in Christ, if you're not in Christ, you're stained, but you could be clean tonight, right? He says, come now, let us reason together. You know, like, you have a problem you can't solve. I have the solution. You know, like, come, Jesus will cleanse you tonight. It's so awesome. Anyway, so you're clean. You know, you're new. As water cleanses, it also can bury. And you've been buried your old life and risen to a new one. And though you keep falling into sin and back into it, you can live a new life again today. And then you're filled. You're filled with this power. So I just say, join us next Sunday if you're able. You know, join us next Sunday at noon, Josh and Renee's. If you have already been baptized, come and celebrate God's promise to them and remember his promise to you. Like I was saying, like with a marriage, with a wedding, that you're remembering the promises of your own wedding. Um, in baptism, we're going to reaffirm our commitment to each other as a local church. We're going to vow to care for each other. We're going to 
take part in something that's been done for 2,000 years with our brothers and sisters, the communion of saints. Isn't that cool? Some of them that lived very peaceful lives like we do. Some of them that died to identify with Jesus. People from every tribe and nation and people and language. And then if you haven't been baptized, come and get baptized. You could totally get baptized next week. Just talk to Josh or I and we'll set it up. These are amazing promises. Take hold of these promises. One thing you do tonight, you could take hold of these promises and you can know tonight that you're clean, you're new, and you're filled with the Spirit. But we'd also say, you know, receive the sign too. God's given this to you for a reason. Let's pray. Father, we just pray for all those who are going to get baptized next week and for all the men and women and boys and girls and all those who are going to get baptized next week, Lord, we just pray that you would make it a, a super meaningful time for them, Lord. We pray that it would be a memorable thing for them, Lord. We pray that this sign that you've given would be a blessing to their hearts and to ours. Lord, we're so thankful that you're so good to bear with our weakness that though we tend to doubt and despair, that you give us visible, tangible ways to to know that you're for us in Jesus Christ. And I just pray, Lord, for anybody that's here that doesn't yet know you, Lord, I just pray that they would not leave this place without the full assurance that they are clean and new and filled through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would make it very clear that they are still stained, but that they could be clean tonight. And we pray, Lord, that even as we worship and take the Lord's Supper, Lord, we pray that you would make that apparent to their hearts and that they would happily receive the gift of your Son. I'm so thankful that you haven't left this for us to figure out or for us to solve. To be hopeless. It's all you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.